Just following our conversation on Zach Wheeler, Ken Rosenthal, as plugged in as anybody. Five years, $118 million for Zach Wheeler. Yeah, they were talking about $70, $80 million, all these guys, just every year. Uh, the, uh, just add on about 10 20% to what people expect. DJ Tice and John Rash are here. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. DJ, I'll start with you. Um, this is clinical today. These are these are very smart constitutional experts who are uh, facing questions so far uh, from the committee chair and the ranking member and their attorneys. We don't know what it's going to turn into now when the members, the other uh, uh, individuals from Congress, get a chance to ask questions. If it's just going to be as, as partisan as expected, what is your what is your major takeaway from the, the start of uh, part two of the impeachment process? Well, I uh, have been watching some uh, this morning, and it's very uh, illuminating. It's very scholarly and thoughtful, uh, quite educational, and uh, quite beside the point. Uh, because <laughs> I think we're in a situation where. If politics and uh, you know foregone conclusions are are in the saddle here, and yep. uh, you know that's what's uh, going to determine how we go. Which doesn't mean that this can't be a uh, you know moment of of some edification yep. uh, for people if they choose to watch. But I doubt that enough persuadable people are watching yep. that it moves the the needle uh, in any way, or or certainly uh, changes the momentum that seems to be um, seems to be in charge. Yep. I concur with DJ that it falls among very sharp partisan political lines. And yet this is the second phase of this and the second opportunity for Americans to see quite a contrast congressionally between the two parties. And one dynamic that's setting up quite consistently, which may not have an impact on ultimately the impeachment process, but in the perception of the parties, is that you've had a parade of experts, be they foreign policy, defense policy, and now constitutional scholars And the way that it has proceeded, the Republicans are resolutely against what they have to say, contrary to their expertise and their knowledge. Democrats trying to draw it out here. Now, we had one of the four constitutional scholars today who, in effect, was more of a Republican witness and thought that this didn't necessarily rise at this point to an impeachable Mm -hmm. offense, thought that perhaps it was being rushed, although even he admitted during the questioning that something untoward may have happened here and that more this investigation clearly is warranted, which is counter to the message that President Trump and his congressional supporters have sent here. So that's correct. We're having a solidification in the minds of the public, not just of the impeachment, but in how the parties go about their business within Congress. To me, the biggest uh, soundbite that stood out to me, DJ, was when Michael Gerhardt said, if this isn't impeachable, then nothing is impeachable. And he said, well, then let's just get rid of all boundaries. Let's get rid of all boundaries. But then it gets to this question because I'm, I'm having a respectful back and forth with a texture on this saying he's not, he is not a fan of Trump, but he says, we know the results. We know what's going to happen. We know impeachment will happen in the house and we know a not guilty verdict is going to happen in the Senate. So where are we at now on that balance? The constitutional duty that the folks face in the House and in the Senate versus the political reality unless, for me, unless some other event takes place that is so unexpected 
that would jar Republicans yeah. to change their mind. Well, you know, just to, to go back to the, the beginning of what you said, I, I think the answer is that in, you know, 200 and, I don't know, 30, 40 some years, uh, we never have removed a president from office in this way. You're right. So uh, so there's really no way to answer that if not this, what? Well, it might be something else that hasn't happened yet. Yep. That would that would be the thing that, that would push uh, a bipartisan uh, impeachment movement far enough to, to not only get an impeachment but a two-thirds vote uh, to oust a president in the uh, in the Senate. You know, if they couldn't do it in the wake of the Civil War with the radical Republicans in charge of uh, yeah. of the House and an accidental president who took office when, you know, the beloved Abraham Lincoln had been assassinated yeah. by a fellow Southerner. Right. <laughs> if they couldn't do it then, yeah. I, it's a tall order. It is. Uh, and it should be. And it should be. And, um, you know, it's a... Uh, to go to the politics of it, it's a political process. I mean, the, that's the trouble with the the argument about the original meaning and, and all of that. In the end, the House has the sole power of impeachment. That's what the Constitution says, and there's no mm-hmm. getting around that language. Nope. So whatever is sufficient in their minds uh, and is, you know, I think there's going to be a political calculation. Are the people with them? Uh, and then they, they can act on that. And similarly, the Senate can reject the, the charges or uh, or oust the president as as they see fit. They have the sole power yep. to uh, to try impeachments. I think the, uh, one of the amazing things about the situation is how little has changed in the public mind. Well, that's despite this yeah. incredible spectacle that we've had now for uh, for many weeks, uh, really very little movement. Uh, has taken place. And so the people are not seeing it the way the experts are, if, in fact, there's a consensus among the experts. I, th- You know, I think people just see a, a carnival of investigations. And, you know, what's one more investigation that Trump wanted in the Ukraine? Yeah. What do you think? DJ is quite right that the public hasn't moved decidedly on this. But that's partly because they started off with a much higher percentage relative to Watergate, as an example, mm-hmm. who thought that the president should be impeached, let alone impeached and removed. And DJ also makes the historical point about that no president, you know, and you've made this point, has been removed through this process. Richard Nixon probably would have been. And in a very famous meeting, you had Republican leaders go to the White House, led by Mr. Conservative Barry Goldwater himself who in effect told President Nixon that the time was now, that they were going to move forward with this. He was going to be impeached in the House and likely convicted or removed from the Senate. And that, of course, led to President Nixon's resignation. And I concur with DJ in that it seems highly unlikely, you know, that there will be an event that would lead to similar circumstances. But we're still towards the end of the beginning of this process, and a whole lot more has to play out. Let's pause right here. Let's get to what has taken place with the president in London and the shock of no one. We've got plenty to discuss there. And a uh, prominent uh, Democrat out of the presidential race, maybe what implications that has for the uh, senator from this state on the uh, presidential election side. DJ Tice and John Rash with us. It is 145. That is the Lindis Construction Time Check. Time to call us for a free estimate on season guard windows. All right, we're right back here with uh, John and DJ. John, you love covering international politics. This is NATO. This is 70 years and 
What are we talking about? Are we talking about consequences? No, we're talking about, you know, what the president is saying in, in one news brief that went on for 50 minutes. We're talking about the uh, president and Macron back and forth. We're talking about uh, Trudeau, Macron, and, and Boris and what they're saying about the president. Now, the president coming back and calling a two-face. Now, the president leaves and in a huff, and he doesn't give a follow-up press conference. And I guess this surprises none of us, right? Well, as we wrote in the editorial pages this week, it's the 70th anniversary of NATO, and that should have been something that was a unifying moment. And instead of NATO looking venerable, it looks vulnerable because of the infighting that's going on, and that was only amplified this week. There certainly were all the dynamics that you just discussed. There also are real serious issues with Turkey, which is a very key NATO member, and Two key issues in that they want the very same Kurds who fought alongside NATO forces, including Americans, to uh, move ISIS out of northern Syria. They want that group to be ter- to be categorized a terrorist group. And they're in the process of purchasing an anti-aircraft missile system from Russia, which is antithetical to the entire idea of NATO's founding and NATO's modern-day movement here. And so there are big issues with the alliance and they really played out in London this week. So yet again, another summit that was unsuccessful during this administration. Yeah, there's a sense that, uh, you know, NATO has seen better days and is brain dead or uh, yeah. obsolete. <clears throat> right. uh, and they're doing a pretty good impression of, of <laughs> all of that. Yeah. Uh, Trump, of course, is a piece of work uh, at all of these sorts of events. Yeah. Uh, but I, uh, one is astonished by how often these seasoned statesmen get caught with live mics yes you know saying insulting yes. things about one another right. and really uh you know behaving like like uh juveniles well uh, macron's all mad about that yeah. you know what you don't think there are cameras all around you when you guys are talking how are you surprised by this yeah you're at an international <laughs> summit meeting the place right. is crawling with reporters yes. and photographers it's 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 bizarre. You almost wonder if some of it is is orchestrated. Yeah. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, something seems to have happened a- across a fairly wide spectrum with the leadership of the civilized world. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is not Winston Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt or even Joseph Stalin. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get to uh, presidential politics. Um, Senator Harris is out, John. She was one a lot of us thought would be at minimum very formidable. And as as I've said many times for a long, long time, I thought she would be the nominee. Why did she perform so poorly? And where are we at with the race now? She never fundamentally answered the question of why she wanted to be president. She searched for many viral moments, achieved a few of those. But her most significant one, if you remember back in the first debate, When she took on Vice President Biden, it was over a 40-plus-year-old issue, which was busing. And then she couldn't fundamentally answer the question whether she herself was for the policy of busing or not. And so, you know, while she grabbed the headlines, she didn't seize the initiative within the race here. And so I think that as she looked at being on the California ballot, she had to drop out now or she would have been on the ballot And had she been embarrassed in her own home state, she already was to a certain degree because her fellow senator, Dianne Feinstein, endorsed Vice President Biden Mm -hmm. ahead of the race here. I think that she realized that she would perhaps have to wait another time if she wants to secure her Senate seat. So it narrows the field and 
puts Senator Klobuchar at least in the top six at this point. Yep. Um, what does it say also, Doug, about um, the number of white 70-plus candidates the Democrats have right near the top? If if this was the grouping, and there are obviously females up there and, and people who do judge as, as, as come out as homosexual, so it's, it's, it's not just old white men. But if this was a group that the Republicans were putting out, I think there would be plenty of Democrats saying, hey, what kind of reflection of America is this? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think it is striking. Uh, Buttigieg obviously is, is youthful mm-hmm. as well as uh, as gay. And, uh, you know, so he at this point is the diversity among yeah. the uh, among the front runners. I've been somewhat surprised that Cory Booker hasn't done uh, better than he has. I'm with you. Uh, you know, just having a lot of intrinsic appeal and, and yep. articulate, uh, somewhat unique uh, points of view. And he's times. trying to point to kind of the optimistic and, side. Yes, right? yes. And, and he, clearly he, you know, represents a, a, a strong diversity element too. Um, but Harris, I don't know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the pose of kind of permanent indignation and, and moral superiority just isn't isn't a great look mm-hmm. uh, and not a not a winning uh, persona, and she didn't really have anything else in the end. Uh, so, I, you know, where are we left with the uh, sort of el- older uh, white probability? And, of course, Trump is, what, 73? Yeah. Uh, and fits that model, too. Well, it, it just shows that at this stage, this uh, cycle, we don't have a star uh, coming oh. forward, you know, from the ranks of diversity as we did with uh, with Obama, it feels, uh, I guess, and a Trump. little less and Trump. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, having had, uh, you know, the first African-American president, I guess it feels uh, a little less like the same old uh, because yeah. we, we had that extraordinary uh, breakthrough. We got about uh, 90 seconds left. We've got to go short with both of you guys. Uh, Bloomberg, one poll out. John, you first. He had six percent. Um, you think he's going to move past that? He's certainly spending a lot of money. What's what's your sense early? That he will move past that, but I don't think right now, given the dynamics of the race, that he'll move past his main rival for the moderate lane, Vice President Biden. And indeed, regarding the diversity dynamic that you were just discussing with DJ, one of the reasons why Kamala Harris is out and Joe Biden remains a front runner is because he has by far the most support among African Americans, which way more created, than her. Absolutely, a firewall for him in South Carolina, a key early primary state. I, I think the Bloomberg strategy has to be uh, hoping that Biden falters yep. uh, early on and it becomes apparent to those who'd like to see uh, a more establishment, moderate kind of candidate that they need another horse. Yep. And here's Mike Bloomberg. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thank you.